Well, I hope you guys had a wonderful week. Now, last week, I want to recap just a sec, because I don't want to just run off and leave what we talked about last week, because I feel like it's very important. And part of last week was really storm-proofing your holidays, because we understand that a lot of people went back into family of origin situations, could have been difficult, could have been great and wonderful, I have to say. Ours was wonderful. In fact, I have my daughter and my grandson with us this morning. Can you say hi to them? This is Carter and Alicia. Carter is all of six foot two, and he's 15 years of age. I know, right? What happened? So anyway, he's grown like a foot and a half since the last time we got to be together, but it's so good to have them. They'll be heading back. But we also had our other grandkids from Houston with us, and I have to say something. In the midst of all of that, I began to see something, and it's really important. It's really relevant to where we are right now. First of all, seasonal um, affective disorder is nothing to, to laugh about. It's, it's sad, S-A-D, but it literally is the holiday blues, and it's a very real condition that people are impacted by. And it's not just over the Christmas holidays. It can be in summer months. There's various catalysts that create this 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 thing that people suffer with, it's like being under something that you can't put your finger on. But it's a real thing. And so I wanted to make sure we didn't just run off and leave that. If anyone is interested in the app uh, that we talked about last week that helps you take that one-minute pause, that moment to kind of reorient, reboot, reset things, feel free to ask any of us. We'll get you to that and make sure that you have that tool. It's very helpful. And I hope you're able to implement and employ that this week. Now, moving along, in fact, the word move is a big move. We're starting our Christmas series right now, and we're calling it God is on the Move. And there's a reason for that. In fact, on the slide that you can see on the screen, John 1, 14, Eugene Peterson has a great take on this. The Word became flesh and blood and moved into the neighborhood. I like to say Jesus put on an earth suit and moved into the neighborhood. We saw the glory with our own eyes, the one-of-a-kind glory like Father like son. And today we're going to cover various topics throughout John chapter 1 here, but God moves through life and light. I'm going to unpack that a little bit, but I have to tell you and share something that happened with our family over the holidays. Now, the last three years, we've tried to create memorable moments for our family. So three years ago, we had the grandkids from Houston up. We had gone to the pool. It was during the summer, actually. We'd gone to the pool, and I'd taken a Sprouts bag. Have you ever had a bag, you know, a shopping bag, one of those? And it had a bunch of towels in it, and it had been sitting on the back porch for a couple of days. And we grabbed this bag, we take it up, and we start throwing stuff in it, as you do when you go to the pool, right? I mean, you just throw all kinds of random things, uh, you know, sunscreen, keys, wallets, iPhones. I mean, we just filled the bag up with stuff. Carried that bag around with us all day long. Of course, we're at the pool. I'm digging around in it. We're pulling out towels and all that. And when we got back to the house after being out for a full day with the grandkids, we're all tired, hot, and whatnot. And uh, we'd been rummaging around in that bag. And Annette takes that bag, and she dumps the contents out on our kitchen counter right there by the sink. And what comes out, in addition to towels, phones, chains, change, and everything else, was a snake that apparently had been in the bag all day long because it had been sitting out on the back porch. And of course, in my mind, I'm wondering, how did I not find that thing when I was rummaging through it? And it was a long snake. 
course, when you see a snake, it feels that long, even if it's not. But, but Annette let out the most horrific blood-curdling scream I've ever heard out of her mouth and lungs. And I quickly move into MacGyver mode. I, we, had just, we had just bought a rug, and it came in one of those carpet tubes, and it was sitting in the garage. And then I quickly, I mean, I was, I was really amazed at myself here. I had a moment, like, this is MacGyver-like to the max. And I actually took a spool of wire that you use for, for you know, your, your, uh, your grass cutter. And, and uh, what do they call those things? Weed yeah, your weed eater. That thing. And I, and I quickly made a loop and ran it through the tube. And I had this great snake stick. And I ran back in the house. The grandkids are freaking out, but they're excited, right? Annette's freaking out, not excited. I mean, it's just like real contrast here. And it's in the house. It's, it's on the counter, which is like totally defiling our kitchen, right? And so it's a serpent. So I, I grab it by the head. I, I get the loop in it, and, and I become hero for the day, right? I had my 15 minutes of fame. And so we take it out on the back porch. We take pictures of it. The grandkids are just, oh, my gosh, this is the best time ever. So that was three years ago. So, or two years ago. Then last year, last summer, we went to the lake. Cause, and once a year, we'll rent a boat, take the grandkids to the lake, and go play. So we're at Lake Conroe. And we're buzzing around the lake, having a great time. And my youngest grandson, Jackson, is autistic. And he is like the happiest kid on the planet. Nothing phases that kid. He is so much fun. And he's so random. He's hilarious to be around. And so he was, had been seven last year. And we're on the lake. We're having a great time, and he finally gets the courage to get on the inner tube, right, or the, the covered tube. So the kids have been out there. They've been playing. We're driving a little pontoon boat around. It's not a big one, not real fast, but we're having fun. So we finally, at the end of the day, get Jackson out on the tube. You know, he's finally brave enough to do it, and we, he catches a little wave, and the nose of the tube goes down, dips in the water, and, of course, you know what happens there, right? It just launches him out. So he lands in the water, he's freaking out, the kids are freaking out, and then the inner tube falls on top of it. So now he's under the tube, in the water, on the lake, so now we're the grandparents who almost killed the youngest grandkid, right? <laughs> so we're making memories, right? So, so, and they will need therapy later on, but that's all right, that's another point. So, so now bring it up to this year. Now we get the joy of having Carter with us from Tennessee. We've got the kids from Houston. We've got the crew together. We're having a great time. They're bored out of their minds on Freaky Friday. Y'all call it Black Friday. I call it Freaky Friday. And um, I, my goal is to stay indoors on Freaky Friday. I'm not going anywhere. Amazon Prime is our friend. Amen? And so uh, that UPS truck makes a lot of runs up and down my street. I'm just saying... So here we are, and the kids are going, oh, we want to go do something, let's go. And, and so my daughter, Faith, she's 19 years old, great driver. She's a granny driver, and that's not a cut. That's a compliment. She is, she is careful and drives the speed limit, and she's a rule follower. So it's like, if it says 55, she's driving 55, not 56. And if I drive 57, I'm in trouble. So that's the kind of kid I have. So she volunteers to take all the kids to Gaddy's. So they all load up in her car. So it's Faith and three of my grandkids all in the car together on a rainy, drizzly, weird day. So here they are on Freaky Friday. They go to Gaddy's. They have fun. They score 5,000 points or tickets. And they've got all kinds of paraphernalia. And they're coming back. She makes a stop at Stripes right down the street here. And then she's going to make her way home. They filled up the car. 
And she gets out on the road. She's got her right blinker on, but she's in the left lane waiting for one pickup to pass. And we don't know what was going on. He was at going at a very high rate of speed, may have been on his phone or whatever, but for whatever reason, he swerves into her lane and he hits her car. And it was a massive impact. He was in a Dodge 250 Ram. And it, it launched the car across the intersection they spun a 360 and ended up on the other side of the intersection, up on the curb into that little field, right across on the intersection here at 16. And we get the phone call a parent never wants to get from her, shaken. And every one of us go into high adrenaline mode. Not only is that a problem, but we want to get there as soon as possible, but we live out close to comfort. And a truck had just happened to have a wreck on 87. They had the whole, inter the whole interstate. 87 is not an interstate. They had 87 shut down. So we actually had to go to Kerrville and back. It took us 40 minutes to get there. And I did not drive like a maniac getting there, I'm just saying. Because we were on the phone with them the whole way. And when we got there, of course, they're all shaken up, except for Carter. He's like totally, hey, whatever, you know. He was cool with it, but the kids were really shaken up and really nervous. And we're just racking our brains going, oh, my gosh. He glanced them, took out the, the passenger side rear quarter panel, completely folded the car. It's completely bent. Axles bent. Uh, back windshield blew out when the car buckled, and he didn't even hit him full on. And so we're counting our blessings to say, and you don't like to go down that what-if road, but sometimes we do, and just to say, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, God, for your providence. That even when we can't see you move, you are moving. And the point of this is this. God is on the move whether you realize it or not, God is on the move. We lived in Southern California at one time, and here I am, a West Texan in Southern California. So I'm pretty excited about the beach, right? First of all, they didn't tell me that water temperature was like 62 degrees. I wonder why everybody was wearing sweatsuits. It's summer. Why would you wear a sweatsuit? When I got out into the water at uh, Corona Del Mar, I figured out real quick why they're wearing wetsuits. So here, this country boy, I'm out in the beach, out on the beach, having a great time. What I didn't know, because I'm not beach savvy, I'm more stock tank savvy and lake savvy, and uh, the water doesn't move, but out there they had what they call rip currents, rip tides, undercurrents, undertow. And I'm a little clueless on this, so I go out there in the water not paying attention where I'm at, and every time a little wave comes along, what do you do? You kind of hop with it, right? What I didn't realize is every time I hopped, I moved about two or three feet. Well, after about 15, 20 minutes out in the water, I decided to go back in. I look up, and I do not recognize the coastline. What I didn't know is I'd moved several hundred yards down the beach. Am I the only dumb West Texans ever done that? Okay, a couple of you are willing to admit it. Thank you, three people. And here I am. I realize I have been carried along by this current and didn't even know it. Couldn't see it. Didn't feel it. But nonetheless, there was movement. I want you to know something about the nature and character of God. Even though you don't see movement. Even though you think, I'm not growing. But you know what? 
If we were to look at you and measure you, if you rode with us all this last year, and we were to take and set you up against the door jam, and there was a spiritual mark for your spiritual growth, I would dare say you've grown inches, if not feet, since last year. God is moving whether you think he is or not. And one of the things we want to recognize and talk about is this word move and the word movements. Why we did the song, God is on the move. He's on the move all the time. In fact, you may have seen this movie. This is a classic. Chronicles of Narnia, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. How many of you have stepped through the wardrobe and realized the kingdom of God's amazing? Anybody else been through the wardrobe? Has anyone not seen that movie or read the books? Okay. All right. So in the line of the wardrobe, they go through this wardrobe, and they, these kids find out there's a whole other thing going on. There's a whole other realm, a whole other world. And that world happens to be a fallen world. It is under a curse. And the ice queen, oh, the, the white witch, she's scary, freaky, and the girl playing her is scary, freaky, too. And, and she's the epitome of evil, yet comes and tries to be very nice, charming, cunning, and yet she has the whole world under a curse, and it's a frozen tundra. And you wonder, is anything happening? Where is the good side? We see the evil. Where's the good? Where is Aslan, the lion, representing God? And Mr. Beaver comes along, and, and suddenly there's this hope that rises up. And Mr. Beaver says this, God, Aslan, is on the move. Now, I want you to know something. We're going to look at this over the next three, four weeks through our Christmas series. We're going to talk about how does God move. And we're going to look at the book of John, chapter 1, those first 14 verses, and look and see how God moves. Because I want you to know something. God is moving in your life right now, whether you know it or not. He's working on your behalf. In fact, we're going to see in the scripture where Jesus explicitly talks about this. So let's go through the scripture. First of all, the word move, just a little simple definition out of Webster's. It means to go or pass to another place in a certain direction with a continuous motion. In other words, I'm here, I'm moving to over here. Movement. We know movement. Movement happens in our life. Momentum, traction, inertia, it all happens in our life. Look at this. To change one's residence or location. This last year, we moved from inside the city limits to outside the city limits, out in the country. So we moved. Some of you have moved. I don't like moving that way, just to be real honest. Now, my next move, I want to be vertical. Can I get an amen? So listen to this. To take action, I love that. To act, to dislodge or displace from a fixed position. And I love this. To cause to advance. To rouse up from inactivity. Do you know that God is working all over the world right now? It's so easy to, to buy into social media hype, buy into Yahoo News, Fox News. I mean, the list goes on and on. And if you get those warnings on your phone, oh my gosh. I, I'm trying to figure out how to remove all notifications off of my phone. The stuff that's coming on our screen right now in real time, never in our lifetime, never in history, have we been inundated with so much pain. And it's right there in our phone. Right there, every day, in our face. Now, I'm not anti any of that. I'm just saying we were not created to navigate that level of pain. We're not designed for it. And so as this is coming, we have to understand because it gives the impression that we're losing. 
The kingdom of God is suffering violence and we're losing. But here's the thing. We know from according to scripture that of the increase of his kingdom, there will be no end. God is working and God is moving. So to rouse up from inactivity, God's moving all over the world. But we don't always see it and it's not always apparent. It's like that riptide or that undercurrent. And it means this. Look at the synonyms. To relocate, to shift. I love that one. To transfer, displace, step, drive, or actuate. Now listen, John, in John chapter 5, we have a setup where Jesus literally says this about movement. Jesus said to them, My Father is always at His work to this very day. My God, Father's always working. He's always moving. And I too am working. Jesus gave them this answer. I tell you the truth. The Son can do nothing by Himself. He can do only what He sees His Father doing. It's a very important and critical distinction. He can only, someone say only out loud. He can do only what he sees his father doing because whatever the father does, the son also does. You know, we give Jesus credit for raising Lazarus from the dead. But here's what Jesus was doing. He was so in tune with his father that he already knew what was going to happen. He saw that his father was at work. He adjusted himself. He aligned himself with what the father was up to. And he joined the father in his work. Jesus said, I can't do anything on my own. I only do what I see the Father doing. The key to Jesus' greatness is not just in Jesus in the flesh, the incarnation of Christ. He became flesh and dwelt among us. The key to Jesus' greatness and ability and empowerment was that he was in alignment with the Father. They worked together. They co-labored together. They co-operated together to advance the kingdom. And he says this, I only do whatever the Father does, for whatever the Father does, the Son also does. Now, beginning with our verse first, listen to this, and we're only going to do five. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Not a God, little g, but God. Hologos, Jesus himself. Now, John, you have to realize, John wrote this around 70 A.D., Interesting because in 70 A.D. was when the temple was destroyed. Why was John not in Jerusalem? Where was John? He was in Ephesus. He was in Gentile country over in Asia Minor, which is modern-day Turkey for us. He was over there because it was too dangerous to be in Jerusalem at the time. The political scene had just grown violent and disruptive and volatile. And so he was there when he penned the gospel. Well, we have four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. The word gospel simply means good news. So the gospel of Jesus Christ is the good news of Jesus Christ. He penned that gospel from Ephesus. And interesting, he actually, you know, remember John? John is the one who calls himself, I'm the disciple who Jesus loves. <laughs> Don't you love that? He was so close. He was a lover. He was a feeler, and when you read the book of John, you pick up on those emotions and his personality. And God, through the Holy Spirit, used John's unique personality to pin the gospel, the good news. And in it, he actually moves from being the touchy-feely guy from the very beginning. He takes a massive, giant theological step. And here it is. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And it echoes 
and, and parrots Genesis 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Isn't that beautiful? And he does that because he's setting something up. There are some groups that actually mistranslate this, and they say that, that in the beginning was the Word, recognizing that Jesus is the Word, and that gets defined later, and the Word was with God, and the Word was a God. No, 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 no. Make no mistake. The diminishment of the deity of Jesus Christ is heresy. And very straight and very on, and the Word was God. And look at this. I'm going to give you a spoiler alert. And go to verse 14, because you need to know where this ends and how this is defined. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. So the Word is a direct reference to Jesus the Christ, Jesus the Son of God. And we beheld his glory, the glory of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Now listen to it in this translation. The word became flesh and blood and moved into the neighborhood. That's Peterson's loving take on that. So in the beginning was the word. The word was with God and the word was God. The word was Jesus, is Jesus. Amen? Listen to verse 2. Again, John, the lover, the feeler, steps into this massive theological lift. He was in the beginning with God. Who? Jesus. The Word. Jesus. All things were made through Him, and without Him nothing was made that was made. It is through Jesus Christ. Now God spoke, and light happened. God spoke, and it was. God spoke, and it was. God spoke, and it was good. I mean, literally, we see the power of the Word spoken, and the Word breathed, and the Word, Jesus Christ. All things were made through Him, and without Him, nothing was made that was made. Jesus was there from the beginning, but we also see in Philippians chapter 2 that Jesus Himself emptied himself of deity, not seeing it as something to be held on to. What's that called? That is called humility. That Jesus let go and was willing to put on an earth suit and come here to walk among us. That is massive. George Otis Jr., Jeff was sharing with me not long ago, George spent some time with Jeff. George Otis did a series of films called Transformations where he's traveled around the world for the last three decades and he's documented moves of God, revivals, outpourings, various things. And we're not just talking, he's also studied the great revivals, first and second, great awakenings, Azusa Street, the Welsh revivals, and some of the more modern outpourings and outbreaks all over the world. That's what George has dedicated his life to. And he goes and he studies participates and observes these revivals and these moves, and then he documents what he's finding, and he's like anyone else, he's looking for patterns. What is it that's common to these outbreaks? What is it that's common to a move of God in the Fiji Islands, to a move of God in Hemet, California? What is common about what happened in Pensacola and what happened in Acton? I mean, what, what is it that's common to all of these. And he came back with one thing. And then Jeff set me up with a trick question. He goes, what do you think it was? I said, oh, prayer. He goes, no, what? That had to be it. Isn't that the cornerstone of everything? Prayer's a part of it. But actually, the most common element, the most common factor in every one of these, brace yourself, 
humility. I know you're expecting something epic, right? Humility. God seems to be attracted to the humble. He seems to be attracted to humility. Not humiliation. That's a negative. We're talking about those who are all about not putting themselves down, but lifting up everyone around them. No pride, no arrogance, no vanity. Just humility. Jesus, operating in the utmost humility, emptied himself, Philippians 2 tells us, not seeing deity as something to be grasped or held onto. And he willingly came to this earth, willingly took the abuse, willingly took the shame and the scorn, willingly took the cross on his back, willingly took the spikes and nails in his hands and feet, willingly took the beatings, willingly took the mocking. He humbled himself and catalyzed the greatest move the world has ever seen. And that was the good news, gospel, the good news, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Humility. Verse 4, in him, in him, in Jesus, in the word, in Jesus was life. And the life was the light of men. Life and light. God moves through life. He moves through light. And it's interesting. Did you know that as he gave himself for you and gave himself to you so he could live his life through you, you know what you reflect and you radiate? Life and light. Literally, it's as though you reflect and radiate his very presence that everywhere you go. Have you ever been around somebody like that? I don't know about you. I'm attracted to people like that. It's, it's, almost, a, it's almost an intangible you just know there's something amazing about that individual. I have a handful of people in my life. I call them lifers. These are people that I may not talk to them for years, but if, Pat, if Jack Taylor picks up the phone and calls me, which he did one time from an airplane, which is hysterical. He's in his 80s. He can't hear, so he's yelling on an airplane. I'm sure everybody in the fuselage heard him. He's like, Jimmy, son. He's yelling at me. But when that man calls me, it doesn't matter if years have passed. It's like my papa has just called me. My family has just called me. He's a lifer. And he's a man who reflects and radiates the very life and light of Christ. People like that walk into a room and they light it up. Not with their character, their personality, but because of Christ in them, living his life through them. And you just know there's something amazing about that individual. Because of life and light. You radiate and reflect light and you leak and ooze life and grace and peace, the presence of God. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus said this, Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. You know what the subject of that scripture is? Not your good works and not you, but your Father in heaven. He's always the subject of the sentence. Let your light shine so that people see him and you reflect and you radiate his goodness and his grace. Jesus said this in John 14, 6. I've probably quoted this more than once here. Jesus answered, I am the way, not a way, and the truth, not a truth, and the life, not a life. No one comes to the Father except through me. 
Jesus is not just a life. He is the life. Jesus. He is our life. He's life and he's light. I love that. Listen to this. Verse 5. And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. This world... Jesus shows up, and you know it's been said about modern-day churches in the West, if Jesus walked in, would he even be recognized? Well, I dare say yes. I may be stepping out on a limb here, but here's the deal. I see in every one of you a beautiful soul. I see Jesus in you. It may be nuanced through a, a thing you say to me. It may be nuanced through Pastor Casey coming up and putting his arm around me today saying, I'm here to pray, you're here to preach, basically. He said, I'm here to pray for you. I'm like, whoa, what is that? That's Jesus in him, reflecting and radiating life and light. It may be Curtis Allercamp hugging me around the neck, knowing I just, I just got bear-hugged by Santa Claus. That's how I feel when Curtis hugs me. I feel like Santa just hugged me. I mean, it kind of looks like him, but I'm just saying, just, there's life, there's light it's Wanda Wilson coming up to me and just wanting to hug me. I'm going, no, don't. I've got a cold. I don't want to share the love. And she's like, I don't care. She hugs me anyway. See, I see Jesus in you. So I dare say, yeah, I see Jesus. I see Jesus and Miss Charlene sitting back there. Full of life. Full of purpose. Making a difference in her world. Advancing the kingdom. In her time, I want Miss Charlene, when I grow up, I want to be like you. What do I see? I see Jesus in you. I see Jesus, Jeff West back here, full of God, full of passion, full of heart. Goes down to Tijuana, Mexico. Was it Tijuana? To build bunk beds for missionaries. No announcement, no mission trip, fundraising. He just goes to do it. Why? Because Jesus in him, reflecting, lighting the way. I mean, I look around this room, I see Jesus all over the place. I see Jesus and Pat Toomey he calls me on a hot summer day to say one of the letters fell off of our sign. <laughs> and he sits out there in the heat, 100 degrees in a blacktop parking lot, sits out there and waits for me to show up and drive into town, and then gets up on top of our hot metal roof with a rickety ladder situation. I shouldn't have told you that. Our HR director sitting here going, what? Just to make sure we get our sign up for Sunday. I see Jesus in that. I look out and I see Jesus here. Christ is here. Emmanuel, God with us. I could go, I, I could just call out names. I see everywhere. So I dare say Jesus has walked into our building. Jesus has put on an earth suit, and he looks a lot like you. Aslan is on the move. Amen. God is on the move. I'm going to have our worship team come on up. Would you guys come up? And we're going to close with a little bit of worship. We're going to have our prayer team up here at the front. If there is anything that you need prayer for, we want to stand with you. We want to hold your arms up. We want to encourage you. We want to bless you. We want to help you fight the good fight of faith. It is a good fight. And we want to help you do that. So if you need prayer for anything, maybe you need more stormproofing for your holidays, as we talked about last week. 
But make no mistake, we're here to remind you today, God is on the move in your life and through your life. Amen? Can we pray together? Father, in Jesus' name, I'm so thankful as I look out across this congregation and I see Jesus everywhere. I see your presence. I see you in people and through people. I see you in people loving one another, encouraging one another. I see you in churches as we had 25 pastors and ministers here for the Ministerial Alliance meeting. I see Jesus in them. As there are, everyone's running in their lane and moving the ball down the field together. I see Jesus in our community. I see Jesus on Main Street when I see godly retail operators and owners who are, who are holding up Jesus in the midst of chaos. And they're down there loving you and loving people. I see Jesus in it. So, Father, thank you. Thank you for being here today with us as I look out across this place. I thank you that you're on the move. May we never doubt that. Increase our capacity to see, sense, hear, and know that you are at work. We honor you and we love you. In Jesus' name, everyone said amen and amen. God bless you.